This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 20. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 20 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziganfus, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziganfus. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Wow, Episode 20, Season 2 already. Episode 20, yes. In <laughs> Season 1, we did 20 episodes. That was our yeah. goal. So. We still have many months of the school year left, and we're already at episode 20. So tell us about episode 20. So today we're going to talk with Laura Greenstein, author of Assessing 21st Century Skills, A Guide to Evaluating Mastery and Authentic Learning, and what teachers really need to know about formative assessment. So two topics that are certainly uh, very relevant to our work in Salisbury. Laura has been an educator for over 30 years, serving as a teacher in multiple grades and subjects, department chair, school leader, and professional development specialist. She also volunteered as a school board member, so that side of her too. As an adjunct professor at the University of New Haven and the University of Connecticut, she teaches human development and assessment to undergraduate and graduate students. Laura presents at workshops and conferences, both locally and nationally. Thank you for coming on the show today, Laura. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to talk with you. Wonderful. Well, let's get the conversation started. Uh, The author Warren Berger, who wrote A More Beautiful Question, describes a beautiful question as one that's ambitious and actionable. So when you were writing Assessing 21st Century Skills, what was the beautiful question that was driving your work? I looked up some of his, his work today, and I'm now a fan of his. (laughs) Um, And I gave some thought to that question. And and really what I was thinking about is how do we make the transition from the traditional ways that we have been assessing students with right and wrong answers um, and bubble sheets to strategies that assess more complex types of thinking and the learning outcomes that we need for our students' future. So thinking about that, those... um your book titled 21st Century Skills and the question you've just identified, we've heard so many different definitions for 21st century skills. We're familiar with p21.org and, you know, certainly there are a variety of other other um, researchers out there who have different ideas about these skills. From your perspective, what are these 21st century skills and why are they so important? Well, first of all, things change so quickly that even the title of the book uh, right now is probably out of date. You know, we're going to be a quarter of the way through the 21st century fairly soon. Um, so I'm not sure what the best words are for them. When I was writing the book, 
Um, it, it seemed like it was a very typical, common term. P21 was using it. And then as the basis of the book, I went back through decades to some of the earlier ideas on what composes 21st century skills and compiled that in a way that made sense to me, just simplified it into those skills that involve thinking skills, um, the actions and uh, the people need to take for the 21st century, and the, um, it's tall, T-A-L, because I always think it's the opposite of me, I am short, that was tall, um, <laughs> the, t the thinking, acting, and the, the living skills, what we're going to need to be successful, what our students will need to be successful in a world that we honestly don't even know what it's going to mm -hmm. look like. So, you know, I built my work around the work of everybody who'd been in the field of 21st century learning. Yeah, and I like how um, you synthesized a bunch of different frameworks and you put them into these um, three big buckets, so to speak, and uh, you walk us through uh, how we would define these, what they would look like, and, of course, how we would um, assess those in the class. So uh, let's take one of those uh, because it relates a lot to some of the work that we're doing. We've been thinking a lot and talking a lot lately about the ideas of inquiry, personalized learning, and the idea that students need to find and solve problems. And to do that requires a lot of thinking. Thinking is a big part of those things. So talk to us about what are some ways that we should be assessing uh, some of the thinking skills in practice that you describe. Okay, I, I like the two that you identified, the inquiry skills and the problem-solving skills, because they're two that to me are often misunderstood. Um, a, a unit that I did with a group of students on inquiry, we called it questioning, um, because that made more sense to them. And the work was on designing questions that would lead them to their projects. So it was part project-based learning, but we took a step back, and rather than saying, what's the project you want to do? Because that's so easy. You know, I want to build a rocket ship or whatever it might be. We went back and we said, what are the questions that you have? Um, and that, I learned, was really hard for students to do. Framing questions is very difficult. And we watched this wonderful video. It's on, um, it's on the internet. And it's a conversation that's just questioning. And all that the participants can do, it's a pair at a time, is ask each other a question but they're not allowed to answer it. So the question might be about, you know, why is it important to study? Mm -hmm. And the answer might be, well, how can I get ahead without studying? And they go through this practice session with the questioning that really gets them to think about what it means to really inquire. And it's kind of fun. It's fun and funny also as they do it. <laughs> um, and they use that questioning as the basis for their project design. And the questions they write need to go through the taxonomy we talk about at a student you know, level. These were high school, young high school students. Um, we talk about what it means at each of the level of the taxonomy. What does it mean to remember, to understand, to apply, to evaluate, and to create? And what kind of questions will lead you to that? Because if a student wants to create a simple question such as, you know, how can I open a restaurant is very different than what are the current trends in in food and, and menus and how can I build on those and extend those to something original. So, you know, the inquiry process can really be simplified. Um, I've seen it done with younger students also and, you know, you kind of deconstruct and simplify it and structure it and scaffold it in ways that, that children can begin to understand that inquiry is student-led 
it's they're coming up with the questions, not being told what to do. And then they're following through and designing a project. Again, very scaffolded, you know, lots of steps and check-ins and assessments along the way. Um, and it's really exciting to see students really begin to own, you know, own the learning. Mm -hmm. um, the problem-solving class, that's another thing. When I first started looking at the 21st century skills, um, and at the, com the common core at the time was emerging, and there was a lot of discussion about problem solving. What I noticed, though, it was primarily from a mathematical word problem focus. Um, and we, you know, I, again, I started looking at it, and I said, problems are so much bigger than that. And there, there are some structured problem solving processes out there, and they've been around for a while. I used them some years ago. Um, and again, taught my students how to identify a problem. And we did another funny activity with the school lunch program. And, you know, they had to identify the problem and ask questions. And the first question was, why was it so bad? I said, but that's not going to solve the problem unless we break it down into, you know, what are the elements of the school lunch? What do you like and what you don't like? Um, and they really ran with it. They ran with this whole thing. We probably spent a week, you know, a portion of, of each day during the week identifying the problem, um, brainstorming solutions, and of course their solutions were always, you know, let's have McDonald's come in or whatever it might be. Um, and again, we said, well, that, that's one possible solution. Let's brainstorm a whole bunch of them. And they worked through the problem-solving process. They then analyzed and evaluated the possibilities of these different solutions they came up with. And the outcome was that they worked with the food service director to design some food lunch programs. You can tell this is a group that was very into eating and food. Um, and it's a great motivator for kids mm -hmm. because food is everything. I mean, it's math and science and language skills and history and all of that. Um, and so they ended up designing menus that incorporated many of those current trends. Um, and they got served in the lunchroom and the, their peers really liked them. They did a whole um, survey of their peers before, you know, they put the menus out there. Um, so it was a real problem-solving process. And to me, that's what problem-solving really is about. The same thing with all these 21st century skills. You really need to deconstruct them into the subsets of the skills in order to work with students and then to begin to think about the assessment piece. Mm -hmm. So thinking, thinking about the assessment piece, what does the assessment look like um, for those skills, you know, those problem solving or inquiry skills? And I'm not sure if you're talking like maybe a shared a shared inquiry protocol in that video, or maybe it's a Socratic seminar for that video. Maybe we can find that video and, and post it for our, our listeners. But how would how would teachers go about assessing those skills after you've deconstructed them? And that, and that's the essence of, of what we're talking about. Um, and and the book um, very much focuses on that. And as I as I mentioned, going back to deconstructing the elements um, is is what's really most important in deciding. What, what it is you really want to assess. You really need to be very clear on your learning purposes and the learning targets and the outcomes. Then you build your assessments around it. I have seen actually multiple choice tests um, that do higher level thinking. For example, um, there was one that I had used where there's a group solving a problem. And, you know, you read through the case study and here's how they're doing it. And one person's yelling at another and another person is, you know, doing something else. And after the students have recognized the problem solving process, there's multiple choice questions at the end about which, you know, which participant demonstrated this skill and which participant demonstrated this skill. And what happened, you know, when this participation did this, um, what was the outcome? And, and so you can actually 
with, with some thought and reflection, build selected choice questions. But I prefer, you know, I prefer not to. So on in the inquiry model, the students, one of the things they had was a grid where they wrote the questions and then they submitted their questions with a grid that identified what level of the taxonomy the question was at and a rating scale that said, well, how much information am I going to get from this question? That, you know, I explained to them that some questions will give you just a yes or no bit of information. Some people, some questions will really guide you to a lot of resources and people that may help you. And they, they went through and they did that. And then they shared it in small groups with their peers to also review that. And then they were able to um, revise the questions before they actually turned them in for me to look at how they scored them and how I would have scored them. And then they got feedback um, on it. So, you know, it's a process mm -hmm. that you need to think about using and how you'll use it. I don't really think it took a whole lot more time than if I gave them a unit test and took a whole you know, period of class to do that. It's just a different way of thinking um, about assessing. Mm -hmm. And your book is filled with rubrics and charts. So talk to us a little bit for someone who hasn't read it about those tools and how they can be used for grading and how you're embedding that self-assessment as well. Okay. Um, when, when I teach the graduate students about assessment, one of the things we do is try to define and distinguish between various types of assessments. And there's a confusion between authentic learning and alternative types of assessment. There's lots of authentic learning. Students put on a play, they write a web page, you know, lots of things they can do. But it's really the assessment that is the alternative type of assessment that's used for that authentic work. Um, so the book has a whole range of uh, rubrics that are very specific and align with the rubric guidelines in terms of specificity, aligning with the learning targets, um, clarity of purpose, um, language that's clear for the students to be able to use the rubrics, um, assessment of process and outcomes. So it really depends on what is valued in the classroom and how the rubric is, um, is designed. And there's quite a few uh, websites out there. I'll give um, a shout out to um, Kathy Schrock, who has a wonderful website with lots and lots of, it's, of web of rubrics posted. Uh, I was just trying to think of the spelling. It's S-H-R-O-C-K if you want to look up her, her website. Sure. Yeah, she does have a lot of great stuff out there. We'll link that in the show notes for our listeners. Okay, that would be great. So it really is a matter of deciding what your outcomes are and then deciding is it a rubric? For some things a checklist will work if it's specific enough and the students can do the checklist. Checklists are, are a good strategy when it's a peer review because it's not, you know, the wording isn't as complex as in a rubric. Um, and they can just check, did the person explain clearly in their introduction what they were going to talk about? You know, and it's a yes or no or a rating scale, and it, you know, it can be easier um, with the checklist. There's also self-reflective types of assessments. Um, the book has some on metacognition of really asking the student to think about, how did you approach this? You know, why did you take that step? How did that work for you? Um, and then turning that ownership for the process over to the student. So there's there's many strategies that um, oops, sorry that can be that can be used for a variety of assessments, but it's all really about you know what's the purpose? What are you assessing? What do you want to know? What do you want to measure um, in the students? So one of the big buzz phrases in education these days is Common Core State Standards, uh, and here in Pennsylvania. 
we don't call them that. We call them PA core standards, but they're essentially 80% the same thing uh, as the common core standards. So how do you see this idea of 21st century skills and the assessment of 21st century skills connecting with PA core or common core state standards? Yeah, interestingly enough, the book has quite a few references to the Common Core, and here we are just a few years later talking about ESSA that's turning that responsibility back to the states. So I'm not sure where we will end up in terms of, of the standards. I know many states will use the Common Core and then use their own tests, such as the Pennsylvania test, the MCAS in Massachusetts, the CAP test in and CMTs in Connecticut. I mean, there's lots of different variations. Um, on those. I think those tests are designed to primarily be taken on a computer in a limited period of time with generally selected choice or completion items. Um, and in doing so, in, in, in many ways, you do limit the 21st century skills. It's hard for a student to show creativity um, or metacognition in a, in a test like that. But there are places that they do, um, they do overlap. I mean, there is the idea of using evidence to support a viewpoint or how did the author use evidence. There is some problem solving with math word problems. Um, so, you know, there's a foundation of some of those 21st century skills. The skills also mention, but don't um, assess things like collaboration. They talk about collaborating with peers, but how can you do that yeah. on a computer <laughs> test? Not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, they talk about drawing evidence to support your own analysis. And again, so some of the skills really are not supported by the test. They're in the common core, and that's where you need to look at the 21st century skills. How do you show that you, the evidence you've used supports your analysis? How do you um, find that evidence other than, you know, my students always say, well, I Googled it. But it's like, okay, that's a start. But then how do you really know that what's on Google is supported by an expert or by research or by facts or you know whatever it might be and we do look at some of the hopes websites if you haven't used those just search for hopes websites have you seen any of those they they have all kinds of stories about um, tree octopus and Victorian mm -hmm. uh, robots and, and things that you know you have the students look at those and realize how much looks legitimate but is really um, inaccurate information when you're, you know, when you're doing those kinds of web searches. So, you know, the, the um, 21st century skills and the common core, there's some, you know, there's some overlap there. Um, but the tests and assessments are not assessing all of those standards. And I really think this is, this is where it will happen. And in your schools and districts across the country and classrooms as teachers hopefully have a little more opportunity to own own that assessment. We'll see more of those common core, all the skills being assessed. Mm -hmm. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see how that develops over the years. Uh, being in education, you know, it's, it's <laughs> constant. It's a moving target. Everything's changing, yeah. and we just do the best we can to go with the flow and try to be innovative at the same time in how we handle these challenges. So one of the ways that we're, um, one of our uncommon dots this year, as we were talking about before we started recording, is this idea of digital portfolios. And talk to us a little bit about how portfolios can be used in the assessment process for 21st century skills, those thinking skills that you've identified, um, or action or living skills. Okay. You know, if you think of portfolios as really comprehensive um, compilations of student learning, 
Um, it's a, a wonderful way to show learning over time, to show growth, to show progress, to show a range of knowledge and skills. Um, you know, you can use a lot of growth measures in them, use the same rubric multiple times to assess growth, um, include progressively more complex outcomes of learning in the portfolio. Um, there's all kinds of emerging technologies for that, depending on your school and district. You know, with young children, there is, I think it's called KidBlog, um, that is limited to just the teacher and student access. It can't go beyond that. Um, it's monitored, so it's a little safer than with older students that you might um, use some other strategies, such as, you know, a wiki. Um, Google Classroom, Google Docs has some really nice ways to collect all that information and keep it in one place. So the technology, you know, really you have to think about what's the purpose of your portfolio? Is it to document growth? Is it in a particular content area? Um, what's the process that you're going to use? What is the technology that is going to support that? And there's lots of choices there. Um, how a student's going to be engaged and responsible for it? And again, you can score that also with student selection of perhaps best work or student selection of um, examples of growth in learning um, with students products electronic products that they are now creating and producing in you know in the classroom and you know keep that in one portfolio and and you know, have one place where it's all um, curated for the student and and that goes with them that stays with them for the you know one grade to the next one school to the next um, you can put parts of your learning management system in it so that the report cards and grades um, are in there also and they can continue to track their growth. So I, I think we'll see more of the portfolios um, and the project-based learning as the technologies emerge to support that. So many of the ideas that we've been talking about uh, with these experts like yourself on our podcast require us as leaders and teachers to unlearn some old habits and old ways of doing teaching and learning and relearn or learn again uh, some new habits. So since most of our audience is uh, school leaders, what advice would you give us as leaders to best support our teachers in learning some new skills around this idea of assessing 21st century skills? Yeah. I would say not to be snarky about it, is jump in both feet, but hang on to that lifeline. Um, and I say that because I've been in education a long time. I've, I've gone through so many iterations of, of policy and practice. Um, and what really made the difference for me is about three years ago, I was invited to teach in the University of New Haven's IT and DML program, um, Information Technology and Digital Media Literacy program, because the program at the time was all on learning the technology skills. And I said, you know, that's not my strength. I, I can't do that. And they said, no, we need someone to come in and talk about purpose, practice, alignment of teaching, learning, and assessing. Um, so I, I kind of self-learned. I self-taught for many months, um, reached out to a lot of people to help me. Um, thank Ian O'Byrne publicly here for his support at the university with uh, my learning those skills. So, you know, I jumped in. Um, I was teaching teachers before I actually did it in my own classroom, um, and I jumped in feet first and just you know just paddled as fast as I as I could. Um, and I'm so glad that I did that. Uh, in fact, I'm working on a book now on technology for assessment 
that you know does just that. It says, what's your purpose in the assessment? What are the technologies that align with it? How do you use that in ways that really validate and make your assessments technically sound, um, as well as sticky? How do you use assessments to help learning stick with the students? Mm-hmm. So I think for the leaders, to go back again from my own experience there, it's, it's really you know getting your feet wet, getting comfortable, finding your comfort zone in the technology, and everybody is at a different level with the technology and the 21st century skills. Start where you're comfortable. Take one of those skills that I talked about, help your teachers work on inquiry. Um, use them as resources to build some of that knowledge. Support those learning groups so that they have the time and the resources to work together. Um, One district that I worked in um, this past year, they were working on designing an assessment system, a local one, in addition to the state policies and procedures. And they put together a group of school leaders. There was one principal or assistant principal from each school and four or five teachers from each of the school in the district. And we spent several weeks working on the design of the assessment system with the intent that those people would then go back to their schools and be the leaders in their school. So it wasn't imposed from outside. I think there's that resistance if you come in and say, here it is, here's what we're going to do, here's your materials, here's your marching orders. There's resistance to that. But I think if you can work from inside um, and have people realize the value of the 21st century skills and the assessments, um, I think you know the leadership can work to get everybody on board once they've jumped in and involved to that lifeline. So you sort of answered our last question that we'd like to wrap up the podcast um, already. What beautiful questions are you currently thinking about um, by giving us a sneak preview for the next book that you're working on? Is there anything else that's uh, swirling around in your mind about 21st century students and um, how we can best teach and assess their work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, like I said, the technology for assessment um, that, you know, we've got to all get on board with that. Um, the assessment system, so the teachers really see that what they're doing isn't something new. We're not adding on. We're taking what they're already doing it, doing, and just really, I like to use the word upskilling. I think I invented that word. Um, but we're taking their skills. Teachers are informed and skilled, um, and we're just going to take and improve those skills for them. Um, so, I, you know, I think it's not about reinventing. It's really just doing what we all work together to do and accomplish for our students and just doing it all together and collectively. So looking forward to learning more about that work. And um, as we are a um, working on a digital transformation of one-to-one, we'll be interested in, in reading more about how technology can support assessing 21st century skills as well. So we'd like to thank Laura for joining us, and we've added some documents to the show notes, Laura's website, assessmentnetwork.net. If you visit the blog, you'll be able to see all of her contact information, including email, Twitter, and Facebook. There's also a link there to Kathy Schrock's rubrics and um, everything Kathy Schrock has. There are lots of resources out there. Check it out if you haven't seen it yet. And finally, to Laura's two books, um, if you'd like to take a look at those and learn a bit more. Learn a bit more. Thanks so much for being here today, Laura. Thank you. It really has been my honor, and um, I, I would love to hear your work as it, about your work as it progresses, and to hear from anybody who might be watching um, the podcast. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's questions... 
Which 21st century skills are you most comfortable teaching and assessing? And what supports do you need from your school leader to think differently about assessment and 21st century skills? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org. Look for season two, episode 20. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes. Let us know your star rating and consider leaving a one or two sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Laura. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Bye-bye. Bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.